Are you an avid listener of podcasts and are even thinking of starting your own? Have you been thinking to yourself, man, I wish there was somewhere I could learn more about how to podcast? Well, you're in luck. Saturday, May 6th is the first ever Pod Summit in Calgary, Alberta. At Pod Summit, you'll connect with other podcasters and learn about how to start podcasting, recording gear, audio production, content creation, and audience building. Heck, the expats will be there talking all about how to conduct outstanding interviews. Visit podsummit.com for more info and to buy your tickets. And I suggest you do so quickly because it's very likely that they'll sell out. That's podsummit.com. And now, on with the show. Nairobi is a Maasai phrase that means cool water. Nairobi, the city, which is the capital of and largest city in Kenya, got its name from the Nairobi River, which flows through the city. With a metro area population of about 6.5 million people and an area of about 696 square kilometers, Nairobi's comparable in size to Toronto, but as I'm sure you can imagine, there are many differences between these two cities half a world away. For one, Nairobi is the only city on Earth that has a game reserve within it, Nairobi National Park. It was established in 1946 and is actually Kenya's first game reserve. Species in the park include hippos, zebras, and baboons, among dozens of others. Nairobi enjoys moderate equatorial weather, so when Toronto's snowed under in January, Kenyans are enjoying temperatures around 20 degrees Celsius. Economically, Nairobi is home to one of the largest stock exchanges in Africa, the Nairobi Securities Exchange, and the city is also home to dozens of African corporate headquarters, including GE, IBM, and Coca-Cola. Join me as we catch up with two travel-hungry Canadians living and working in Kenya's capital right here on The Expats. Welcome to The Expats. I'm your host, Adam Rosenhart, based out of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Pierre and Deborah Boileau were hit by the travel bug early in their lives. Through marriage, kids, and careers, it's something that's been a huge part of everything they do. Uh, when we first got married, I guess, we took our first trip to Europe when uh, for our honeymoon. And we went to, uh, my goodness, where didn't we go? Germany and Italy and Greece and France and... Um, and really ever since then, we just, the more you go places, the more places end up on your bucket list. Yeah. And, and were you thinking about, uh, pursuing work opportunities that meant travel or did you kind of just fall into that? Um, that's more my husband. I mean, Pierre, you can answer that one. Yeah. Um, when, when I was working for the federal government in, in Canada, I had an opportunity to be able to go work on a contract in France in 1997. And um, it was a bit of a, I mean, it was a big decision at the time, but uh, it was more, I think, to try and advance my career 
Um, so I actually went alone for the six-month contract to work in Paris and uh, left the family behind. So that was my first experience working internationally. And um, from there, I've done a couple of stints at different places. But when you did those additional stints in other places, did you always bring the family along with you? Uh, yeah. So the 97, the contract in 1997 and 98, um, uh, I did not bring the family, but when I started in 2010 uh, with the International Energy Agency back in Paris, I brought Deborah with me because the kids were old enough then to um, to go to university on their own. Was it a difficult decision for, for you to leave Canada to pursue work? Not at the time. Uh, it was quite a career advancement for me to be able to take the position in Paris in 2010. So um, at that time, it was uh, other than the, I mean, our kids are quite independent, so we didn't feel like we were leaving anybody in the lurch or anything of that nature. Um, and they've followed us and come to our wh whatever location we've been at and toured Paris and toured Europe with us. So they've traveled quite a bit as well. So I, it wasn't an enormous uh, decision for me at the time. However, it's become more complicated with uh, our parents getting older. Yeah, I imagine so. That's one of the things that would probably bring you back to Canada with relative frequency. Yeah, yeah we've come home a couple of times a year regardless. Um, and then I'm a dental hygienist in Canada. And if I don't actually see patients within a three-year span, I lose my license. And... Uh, you know, I'd have to go back to school to get my license back, and it's just a little bit complicated. So, um, for instance, when we moved from Paris to Kenya, Pierre actually went directly from Paris to Kenya, and I went home, as luck would have it, my old office had somebody leaving on maternity leave. I covered that maternity leave. I have a house in Canada. My mom lives in it. So basically moved back into my house, went back to my old job, saw all my old patients, had a great year. And so I've only arrived here in September, uh, when that maternity leave ended. Oh, okay. So, so how long were you in Paris uh, for the the beginning of the 2010 period? I went for three years. Um, Taylor, our daughter, was the youngest, and she hadn't finished high school. And both the kids kind of put their foot down and said they didn't want to come. <laughs> so, <laughs> I um, I and that kind of worked out for the three year period again. So I waited until she finished high school, put her into university residence. Kind of waved at her backwards. Bye. Hope you're okay. <laughs> Leave and see. Bye bye. And off we went. And so uh, I had three fabulous years in Paris, and now we're starting the adventure in Kenya. So, uh, Deborah, um, uh, Taylor mentioned in in the email that you spent a lot of your time in France, uh, becoming a student of the country, learning about the history of the place. It doesn't sound like you have any trouble being a trailing spouse. No, I actually really love it. Um, I tease my friends in Canada and say, you know, I'm a part-time hygienist. I'm a full-time princess. <laughs> uh, when I got to France, I think the secret is when you arrive, you have to come with an open heart and accept that you're, you're going to someone else's country and you've got to respect the culture and try and figure it out. Um, there's a social club associated with the OECD in France, which I got highly involved with made many friends through that. They have an on-staff tour guide who does, he's an art historian, who does several tours a month. I became his administrator. 
So I would send out the reminders and collect the cash and all that kind of stuff. But in that, I went on all of these tours. So I learned so much about art and history and the culture in France. It was just amazing. And we did things that were off the beaten path. And so I, the experience was phenomenal. Yeah, it sounds amazing. Pierre, what about you? The, the way that you integrate into a foreign country is obviously different when you're at work. Is it easy to, to become part of, of society that you're, of the country that you're visiting when you're working? It's a little bit more difficult because when you're working for international organizations, uh, although you work with a very uh, large group of different nationalities, you're all speaking English, you're all working towards this, the same goal and, and whatnot. Um, and so you don't, at, at work at least, become integrated into French society or Kenyan society. You really have to make the effort to try and do that on your spare time and your weekends and whatnot. And uh, Deborah, obviously, because she had gotten so involved, was a great catalyst in allowing me to get more involved as well. That's awesome. Um, now, making the leap from from France to Kenya seems like a pretty big one. Did you, first of all, have a lot of say in the decision? And if you did, was it a difficult one to make? Well, I mean, uh, my contract in France was only a five-year contract. So I finished, we were, I was finishing up the contract in 2015. So I started looking for positions uh, in many different areas, back in Canada, uh, in the United Nations, um, in, in different organizations that around the world, the World Bank and this kind of thing. Because Deborah and I had discussed that we didn't really want to stop the international lifestyle. We didn't necessarily want to give that up. And, um, and so I started about a year before the contract ended. Um, maybe 10 months into it, I was offered a position with the UN here in Kenya. Um, that was sort of when the big decision happened uh, because it was, we knew that <clears throat> it was going to be a complicated situation uh, with Deborah having to go back to Canada and me going straight to Kenya. Um, and it is ha it has been a lot more challenging to spend time apart from family here in Kenya than it was when I was in Paris. So, yes, that was the more difficult part of it. And uh, how is, what's Kenyan society like as a Canadian? Um, has it been difficult to integrate even with Deborah being there with you now? Actually, no. Um, when <laughs> when Deborah arrived two months ago, um, I think the first two weeks I did more in those two weeks than I'd done in the previous year. <laughs> um, it it uh, basically be, because I was alone. I was doing. I was working a lot. I was just going between sort of the grocery store and the apartment and work. Um, and I spent almost a year doing that. And I mean, apart from my dad getting quite ill. Uh, that was my routine. And so I did that for pretty much the whole year. And in Deborah's preparations to come here, there were a number of things that I tried to set up for her uh, to be able to integrate into Kenyan society. And I, she's taken advantage of that. And that's helped us both, I think, integrate an awful lot more. I have to say that Kenyan society is, I mean, Kenyan people are incredibly gracious, incredibly giving, and um, it's something quite different to come into a culture like that where we had more difficulty in France integrating into the culture than we've had to, uh, to do it here, I think. 
But we live in a bit of a bubble would be the honest truth because of security issues. We live in a gated community. We live a little north of the of nor, nor, uh, Nairobi Centre. Um, and so there's a bit of a, a class difference, obviously, uh, between expats hanging out with expats and, and native Kenyan people. Um, so I don't know that we've made too many Kenyan friends yet, but certainly a number of expat friends. And everybody is so gracious um, in helping you to integrate and to make sure that you're comfortable. Uh, the Canadian Embassy has something called um, Caribou Canada. Caribou is Swahili for welcome. And so once a month you go to the embassy and meet other people who are here. Um, and it's just been a wonderful experience of everybody helping everybody. That's amazing. Um, so you, you haven't had a ton of uh, you haven't made a ton of Kenyan friends, but you say the Kenyan people are very gracious. How do they regard Canadians? Do they do they think Canada? Do they hear good things about the country, or do, is it just oh, interesting people? Who cares where they're from? I think everybody's treated equally the same. Um, and sadly, it's more a white black thing than it is a you're from Canada or the U.S. or the U.K. or wherever you happen to be from. Um, and so I, uh, I talk to the guards when I'm walking and the road we live on, there's several embassies and the guards come out and say hello when I'm walking the dog and how do I like Kenya? And they are so patriotic. They're, you know, it's not dangerous here. Tell your friends to come. Like, so they're, they're very proud of their country and want people to see it. Yeah. And it does, it does have a bit of a reputation of being, uh, of being a pretty rough Nairobi of being a pretty rough city and uh, you know is the stuff that we read in the media an exaggeration of that or have you seen or heard that it is actually something you need to pay attention to you need to keep your wits about you but we were in Paris when the Charlie Hebdo shootings happened things are happening everywhere so you have to keep your head up and your wits about you um, you don't really want to be out after dark here you're more likely to have a car accident here Hmm. Uh, the the traffic is absolutely crazy. There's very few street lights. They drive on the other side of the road. Yeah. So, so it's, you know, it's it's a little complicated. But um, you know, I, I've never felt in fear for myself anywhere. We walk to the market, and but like I said, we don't live in the city center either. So we're not living near a slum. And I mean, there's certainly abject poverty here, um, and we're a little bit sheltered from that. Yeah. And I have to say that certainly the United Nations takes its responsibilities for the security of the people who work for the UN quite seriously. And we have regular weekly security briefings and we have um, general guidance and training to be able to make sure that we are prepared no matter what happens. <clears throat> Saying that, um, I have had no problems over the last 15 months riding my bicycle around wherever I need to go. I've never had any security concerns. Um, you know, and, and Uber works extremely well here. The cab service is really uh, quite good. We actually don't have a car mm -hmm. here yet. Um, so I don't think, as Deborah says, you keep your wits about you, you listen to things, you pay attention to the security briefings and whatnot. Um, but you're, you're not going to be in a situation um, of, of being, uh, you know, compromised in terms of your security unless it's a random event or unless you're not keeping your wits about you. Yeah, fair enough. 
Now, when you when you both arrived in Nairobi, was there anything or were there what were some of the things that you experienced in terms of maybe culture shock or wow, that's very different from what I'm used to? Well, um, from my perspective, uh, the culture shock was um, in the uh, for me, the working standards here are quite, quite unusual. Uh, we have guards here who work on the co- uh, on the compound, who work uh, twelve hour days, six days a week. Um, so they start at six in the morning, they go home at six at night, and then they turn around and come back again the next day. I've seen a lot of different uh, working standards in terms of the construction industry in our neighborhood. There's quite a lot of construction going on. Um, I fear sometimes for some of the things that the construction workers are asked to do. So for me, the labor standards are were the biggest shock in terms of, um, you know, I, I would hope that there would be something a little bit more standardized put in place to, for people's safety and for the, you know, work-life balance that people are supposed to have. What about you, Deborah? What are you seeing that's uh, dramatically different from what you're used to experiencing? Well, I, I th- as similarly to Pierre, I think a lot of it is the... It, not extremely so, but I mean, this is a former British colony, and so there's a divide between the haves and the have-nots that is quite extreme. Um, you know, school is supposed to be paid for um, up until grade eight, and they have to pay school fees after grade nine. Um, but we have a lady that comes and cleans for us, and she has four children. And they kind of nickel and dime them, and there's three semesters, and 100 American dollars per semester is beyond their means. And so they can't always send all their children to school. Wow. Um, The idea that my children wouldn't just automatically go to school is, is a little bit of a shock. No kidding. That's a huge, huge difference. There's many tribes here. Swahili is the common language but most people come from outside of Nairobi and and are part of a tribe and some of those tribes have polygamous marriages as well so one of our guards has two wives and five children so when you can't put your five children through school and his job is considered a good one and for those many hours that he works he makes about a hundred dollars American a month wow now, do do women work a lot in, in Kenyan society, or is that something that's frowned upon? No, no, I don't think so. I mean, um, most of the scenarios that we've seen, entire families sometimes work on a compound. So somebody's the gardener, and somebody's the guard, and somebody's the cleaner, and they may all be part of the same family. Interesting. Now... Mm-hmm. You, you've been you've been traveling a long time variously you've come back to Canada you come back every so often is there anything in Kenya a creature comfort for example that you miss having available to you when you were in France or when you were in Canada you know ironically I missed more things in France <laughs> than I did. <laughs> um, I used to miss you know craft crunchy peanut butter you can get peanut butter in France but it's a very small jar never crunchy and very expensive um, so that was the cost of, of coming to visit us. You had to bring a jar of peanut butter with you. Um, but uh, here I find between the UN commissary, we found our favorite wine from France here. Oh, no way. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I haven't really 
And the other thing is, is the more you do this, the more you just sort of integrate and get used to. And so, I, yeah, I, I don't really miss anything other than my kids and my mother and my father-in-law. How about you, Pierre? Is there anything that you miss from uh, from Canada or even from France? I, I think that the the things that I miss are more work-related, I suppose, than sort of social life-related. Um, I have... And and I have to say that Kenya is incredibly well equipped for uh, for an African country in terms of providing the basic services to be able to do your work. But we're very far away from uh, to do meetings and whatnot. It's at least an eight-hour flight to get to Europe. It's at least um, uh, you know fifteen-hour flight to get to any other place that we wanted to go uh, for work. So from that perspective, being in a less centralized place it's more challenging to do your work. Now, the Internet service here is amazing, as you can, as you can tell. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's, uh, you know, fiber optic into the apartment. Uh, so I have no challenges in terms of those types of services. And uh, I think we're very fortunate from an African country perspective to have those, those kinds of services. But from a work perspective, it's a little bit more difficult to be so far away. You are on the eastern coast of Africa in Kenya, I believe. Have you had the opportunity to explore other African countries since you've arrived? Not since we've arrived here. We've been to Egypt and Morocco from France, actually. Um, But this was the first time living in Africa. Um, It was just my birthday last month, and so Pierre uh, bought me three days up at Lake Navasha, and I was on an animal preserve that was the most incredible experience. Um, my daughter and I went to Australia in 2010, and it was always on my you know, top three things I've ever done was camping in the outback. But I have to say this rivaled it. Nowhere in North America would there be so few rules. We arrived at this place, and we walked out of our cabin, and there were two giraffes eating out of a tree. And I said to the guide, you know, how close can we get? Well, as close as you want, but if you get behind him, he might kick you. <laughs> and, you know, same with the zebras. Is there anything we should be afraid of? Uh, you might want to stay away from the buffalo. We went to the main house at night for a beautiful meal, and you know, they said they'll drive us back to the cabin. And I said, okay, so what are we supposed to be afraid of in the dark? And he said, the dark. <laughs> I said, I'm not afraid of the dark. I want to know what's in the dark. And he said, well, the hippos come up from the lake and walk up the, there's a landing strip there and go all the way up to the gate. So you might get trampled. And then, of course, there's the hyenas. And we think we might have a leopard. Okay, oh. good to know. We'll take the ride back to our cabin. <laughs> That's incredible. But it was incredible because we were within 10 feet of a nursing zebra. We saw amazing animals. It was a it was just an incredible experience. And from people who've been here longer than I have, they said that's just the beginning. So, you know, got to see a bit of the Rift Valley. And, uh, you know, there's always uh, Kilimanjaro and Mount Kenya. So there's so many things on the list that uh, as soon as we get our own vehicle, I think we're going to be venturing a little bit further. That sounds terrific. And I know you've just sort of started your life in Kenya. Uh, Are there any plans for you to stop the travel lifestyle and get back to Canada and maybe spend a little bit more time here? I think if our children start having children, um, grandchildren may draw me back to Canada, but they're not there yet. They're both still in university. 
they're only 22 and 24 and they're not there yet. So for now, I think uh, the UN has mandatory retirement at 62, 65, something like that. Uh, we have a few more years before we get that to that age, and I would love to continue doing this as long as we're both physically and emotionally able. Well, from from my side, I think that uh, I, I think the expatriate lifestyle is really not for everybody. You have to. It it took us quite a lot of discussion, a lot of a lot of understanding, some sacrifice from both our sides to be able to manage it. It's difficult. Um, at times, this last year without Deborah has been more challenging for me um, because of uh, because the work situation has been very intense, and um, I haven't had the ability to sort of really enjoy Africa, enjoy Kenya as much as I would have wanted to. Um, so you really have to sort of understand that there will be some sacrifice, there will be some periods where you will feel alone quite a, quite uh, some uh, for some time obviously you know we can communicate by video conferencing but it's nothing like having a real person uh, here so I think that it you know you have to sort of weigh a bunch of things when you decide uh, if you're going to come and, and try and do this keep an open mind and an open heart um, what you have to do is remember that though you bring part of home with you, you're in somebody else's homeland and you have to respect the culture and the beliefs and and not try and infringe upon them your own personal beliefs all the time, you know. And if when you're more accepting of the culture and and sometimes things don't, you know, it would be easier in Canada and I would only do, well, we do it this way at home. If you you put those aside, you'll, you'll integrate a lot easier and you know, just have a lot more fun. That concludes this episode of The Expats. If there are any expats you think I should be speaking with, have them email me at info at expatspodcast.ca or send me an email yourself. And let's keep building this global network of Canadians living abroad. I've been your host, Adam Rosenhart. You can find The Expats on Twitter at expatspodcast and on Facebook at facebook.com slash expatspodcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to The Expats on the iTunes Music Store, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. And make sure you leave us a review. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch up again in a couple of weeks. Bye.